6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. It really is amazing how often idleness and laziness and so forth also pepper this entire book. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Notice what he does? I won't ask for a show of hands, guys, but have you done that to your wives? Have you given, you know, one of the, you know what I think is one of the biggest missing elements in families? It's called gratitude. We take each other for granted. In one sense, it's sort of a compliment. In the other sense, it's a crime. Many daughters were done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Boy, does that say it all. How often I've ended a letter to Nan with that phrase. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You know, it really is astonishing. The best of us tend to put too much value on appearance and not enough on quality. It's just uh, the nature of the male beast, I guess, in many respects. But how crucial it is to get that straight. Favor is deceitful. Indeed it can be. It can be flattery. And beauty is vain and vanishing. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. And that ends the chapter. This tribute to the woman is the crown on the book. Well, let's stand back now, having gone through some of the details, and stand back and see what we can just summarize from this tour that we've taken through the book of Proverbs. It's, of course, part of the wisdom literature. What do we mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, of course, we have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Job, and the Psalms. These are called the wisdom literature, particularly some specific Psalms. 19, 37, 104, 107, 147, and 8. Um, but most people would say the whole book of Psalms is, is part of the wisdom literature. If you're interested in more of that, you can check in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, and the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Excellent passage. And James 3 are in the spirit, if you will, of the so-called wisdom literature that Proverbs exemplifies. Now, the book of Proverbs is God's book on how to wise up and live. And he, he contrasts the scorner, the fool, the simple, 
with those that are wise. And we'll talk about that in a minute. It's beyond keeping laws. You know, too often we, gee, is, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? We check laws. No, no. This is far beyond that. We're trying to lead an aggressively dynamic life, and that's what the book of Proverbs is tuned into. Attitudes. It's not what you do and what you don't. It's what your attitude is, proper and improper attitudes, which, of course, will lead to conduct. And all these characteristics are referred to in very succinct, penetrating, I might say, colorful ways. Some of the most elegant collections of ideas on the earth are here in the book of Proverbs. As I, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, not part of it, all of it. And by inspiration of God, we mean God breathed. God breathed. He superintended the whole process. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. What do those words mean? Doctrine tells us what's right. Reproof, what's not right. Correction, how to get it right. And instruction, how to stay right. So that nails it from all four sides. Now, the addressees here are my son all the way through here. My son were written by Solomon 15 times and twice elsewhere. 15 times just in the first seven chapters, is what I meant to say. And they're used five times in the sayings of the wise men. That's the collection of the, of the, the wise men that are in chapters 23 and so on. And it's used once by Lemuel's mother, which we believe is Bathsheba. My son's plural occurs four times, all by Solomon. So he's, it's a, more of a family address. The New Testament quotes Proverbs all through the epistles. And, for, and no surprise, but it's worth mentioning. And uh, what do we mean by wisdom? This is wisdom literature. What is wisdom? We, most people say, what's well, the ability to use knowledge in the right way? That's a reasonable instruction. But that's not the way. That's, we're, not li we're not looking at it that way. We're limiting it even more specifically. Because there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of this world that 1 Corinthians 2 talks about and James talks about. Uh, and uh, there's divine wisdom from above. Jesus Christ is the personification of wisdom from, of God. We see that in Proverbs 8, very dramatically dramatized. And elsewhere in the epistles, of course. The word for wisdom is chokma. Occurs 45 times here. Being knowledgeable, experienced, efficient in the areas of expertise is what some people would define it. And, but here it really includes a practical sagacity, mental acumen. But it also includes and really emphasizes moral upright living, which stems from right relationship with God. That's the key to it. In fact, that leads to the key verse in the whole uh, thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it all starts and ends. And that, somebody asks you, what's the key verse in the book? Proverbs 9.10 is, is a safe bet. But this also says something else. The Hebrew concept of wisdom is unique. It's very distinctively different than that which is typically used in the world. It is specifically involving, involved with fear of the Lord. And so the whole thing is to get a proper relationship with him. So it's described as eternal in Proverbs 8. It's, the, it's described as the creator of all things. Jim Dobson at one of our meetings once said, what's the first thing that was created? Even before the universe was created, the answer he was going for, looking for was wisdom. It was there from the beginning, before all the other things. It actually was because it was the personification of Christ. Wisdom describes the beloved of God in Proverbs 8. And to yield your life to Christ is to obey Him and obey Him. To yield and obey Him is true wisdom. 
Something else that strikes us all the way through is just a stylistic structural thing, but it's being, I want you to be aware of it, is the parallelism of ideas. There's synonymous parallelism, antithetic parallelism, and synthetic parallelism. Synonymous parallelism is where the second clause restates what's given in the first clause. We have a lot of those examples we've gone through. Judgments are prepared for scorners and the stripes for the back of fools. Antithetic parallelism is where a truth is stated in the first clause is made stronger in the second clause by a contrast or opposite expression. That's what's it's antithetical, if you will. The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. There's synthetic parallelism, as the last example, where the second clause develops the thought of the first. The terror of the king is as the roaring of a lion. He that provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own life. See, it really gives you the implications of the first clause, if you will. There are three losers that are defined here, three classes of people that desperately need wisdom. The scorner, the fool, and the simple. They're all losers, but they're each different kinds of losers. The scorners mock at God's wisdom because it's too high for them, and they will not admit it because they know everything. How many of you have known a scorner in your life? <laughs> okay. If you haven't seen one, just turn on the news and hear some of these political commentators. The Hebrew word for scorner literally means to make a mouth. <laughs> I like that. We can easily picture them sneering and curling up their lips in scorn. They never profit from rebuke, and as a result, they one day will be judged. The scorners are in deep trouble. You don't want to be a scorner. The fool, it's a different kind of guy. He's a person who is dense, and worse, he's also sluggish, lazy, careless, and self-satisfied. He has that in common with the scorner, they're both self-satisfied. But the fool is a different kind altogether. Nabal was a fool. We use that as an example in 1 Samuel 25 when we're going through it. The fool hates instruction, is self-confident, that's always dangerous, and talks without thinking and mocks at sin. Bad news. There's another character we encounter as a simple. They're those that believe everything and everybody and lack discernment. In a sense, they're the opposite of what's used as the fool who thinks he knows. The simple believes who's ever talking. They're easily led astray by others because they like understanding. And they can't see ahead, which is a real frailty here because they repeatedly walk into trouble. Not, they don't look where they're going. These three f losers are contrasted with what the book of Proverbs called the wise. They listen to instruction. They obey what they hear. You know, it's really interesting. The wise are listeners. You have somebody that's not listening. That's a major danger signal. The wise listen to instructions. They obey what they hear. They store up what they've learned. They also win others to the Lord. Proverbs emphasize that. Often quoted passage. They flee from sin. They watch their tongue and are diligent in their daily work. That's quite a list here. The other contrast in the book is between wisdom and folly. There are three calls from wisdom and three calls from folly in the first nine chapters. Wisdom calls us to God and to life. Folly calls us to sin and judgment. Wisdom's first call was to salvation in chapter 1. Wisdom's second call was to wealth, strangely enough, in chapter 8. His third call was to life in chapter 9. So there is some structure behind these, these uh, 
epithets and so forth. The first call was to the scorner, the fool, and the simple. The second call was to the fool and the simple. Third call was only to the simple. Gave up on the fool and the scorner. It's very interesting to see the pattern here. The scorner and the fool drop out early, so to speak. The simple are still hoped for if they'll just pay attention. Folly's first call was to condemnation in chapter 5, a second call to poverty in chapter 6, and to death in chapter 7. You say, gee, if that's what the call, why do people follow it? Because they're appealing calls. Sin is always appealing, deceptively. What are the results? The, re the scorner rejected wisdom and met destruction, listened to folly and received destruction. The fool rejected wisdom, was led to death, and listened to folly and was led to death. The simple rejected wisdom went to hell. He listened to folly and ended up in hell. Unless he changes from being simple, of course. So summarize the whole picture. We cannot avoid decisions. One of the things that undergirds all of this is that you can't duck them. There are decisions that will confront you on a daily basis. Your decisions determine your destiny. You need to understand that. We either choose the path of wisdom or the path of folly. We can't postpone this decision or avoid it. To choose one is to reject the other. To reject one is to choose the other. The question that all of you are facing as you leave the study is what decisions have you made today? Sin is always alluring. It's a masquerade. It's deception. Folly does everything she can to make sin look attractive. She never reveals her true nature. She never tells people that her house is on the way to hell. That's not on the billboard. The only way to detect folly is to walk in wisdom. Or with wisdom. Obeying the word of God. And you, it won't, you won't be tricked by folly. It takes time for judgment to fall. The fact that it doesn't happen immediately is also deceptive. The simple, the fool, and the scorner all thought they had it made when they rejected wisdom. Because no, no disaster happened right away. But judgment always eventually catches up. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap Galatians 6, 7, but there's probably a dozen verses that say essentially the same thing in, all through the Scripture. Satan always appeals to the flesh. That's almost an adequate insignia right there. The wicked woman or strange woman, as it's sometimes called, is always appealing to the young man's appetites. She tells him he can use his, she can, he can use his body as he pleases and not suffer for it. Not true. Sexual sin leads to tragic results both in body and soul. And God, though, continues to call. He continues to call. Praise God for that. If you're being bothered by these things, praise God. That means God's still tugging at you. So as long as people will hear, God's Spirit continues to call. But when the sinners refuse to obey, the ears become deaf to the Word of God. Beware of that. If you start becoming deaf to the Word of God, you've got serious, serious problems. Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, and so forth. Sexual sin is described a great deal in Proverbs 5. The experience goes from sweetness to bitterness, and you have to look ahead. You, you want to check out your destination before you buy the ticket, is another way to summarize it. From gain to loss. Temptation always includes hopeful promises, otherwise people wouldn't take the bait. Sin is the most expensive thing in the world. From purity to pollution, 
Sex within marriage is a beautiful river that brings life and refreshment. But sex outside the marriage is a sewer that defiles everything it touches. I'm always disturbed by these phrases of victimless crimes. There's no crime that's victimless if there's anyone around that loves you. They're all touched by it. From freedom to bondage, and that's a bondage that can't be easily broken. It also results in losses. Proverbs 6 went through that. They lose the word of God, they lose wealth, they lose enjoyment, they lose their good sense. And indeed, we probably all can think of lives we've seen wrecked because of sexual sin. They lose their peace. There's also a list of God's hate list. You, you know, God hates them. That's a shock to many people. God hates certain things. They're listed in the book of Proverbs. There's seven of them. God hates a proud look. Job said that. Look on everyone that's proud. Bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. That's the way it all started with Satan. I will, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That was his ambition that started the whole mess. A proud look. That's why God hates pride, because that's where it all started. He hates a lying tongue. I said in my haste, all men are liars. <laughs> Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Behold, thy desire is truth in the inward parts. O Lord, the God of truth. Hands that shed innocent blood. The heart that devises wicked imaginations. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. That's your most important stewardship is your heart. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, and so on. Feet swiftly running to mischief, God hates. A false witness that speaketh lies, God hates. And he that sows discord among his brethren, God hates. God hates those that sow discord. Wow. That's the list. Seven of them. God's hate list. God says, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. A fool's lips enter into contention, his mouth is called, uh, uh, mouth called for strokes. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Echoes all the way through, those are some samples. Let's talk about the path to destruction. There's three people that get tempted on the path to destruction. The first is the person that's where he tempts himself. Chapter six through, verses 6 through 9 on chapter 7 mentions that. He's out that night, walking in darkness, he's, so forth. He's tempted by the woman. He tempts himself, he tempts the woman. He's tempted by the woman. Verses 10 20. And he also tempts the Lord. When you sin in any kind, you're tempting God. You're daring Him, in a sense. You're tempting His judgment. We tempt God when we deliberately disobey Him and put ourselves in situations so difficult that only God can deliver us. Well, what's the most painful sin? We talked a lot about this. I wanted to bring this up again. The most painful sin. What sin has caused more pain than any other? And the answer surprises many people. That's gossip. He, he, he is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuses to reproof eareth. He that hideth, hideth hatred with his lying lips, and he that uttereth slander is a fool. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his whips, uh, lips is, is wise. He that refraineth his lips is wise. 
The tongue of the just is as choice silver, the heart of the wicked is little worth. This whole collection of things have to do with, is a violation of one of the commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Gossip. It's a form of betrayal. It's probably accountable for more personal pain and suffering than most of us have any imagination. It's common, casual, yet hurtful beyond our imagining. Quietly, behind the flurry of daily priorities, the venom does its silent work, undermining confidences, betraying relationships, spreading unseen injustices. You know, it's really disturbing to discover how many of us have been injured deeply by gossip and by those who accept without checking negative or derogatory innuendos whispered behind our backs. And they don't have to be untrue to be hurtful. Whether true or false isn't the issue. What an opportunity you have to display loyalty, love, and, assume, and by assuming the most charitable construction in advance, demonstrate a foundation of a relationship. To give that friend a, the benefit of the doubt and not partake in gossip. The tongue is a ready and willing instrument to talk about our neighbor behind his back. It's all through the New Testament too. Paul warns about it in 2 Corinthians 12. The godly tongue. The scripture has a lot to say about the godly. When used for good, the tongue is like valuable silver, a beautiful and fruitful tree of life, refreshing well of water, a healthy dose of medicine. The godly tongue should be used for the right purposes. Bringing peace, giving wise reproof to the erring, delivering lost souls from death, teaching people the things of the Lord. That's what it should be used for. Carrying the good news of the gospel. That's what your tongue was intended for. Not tail-bearing, lying, talking too much, talking too soon, or flattering, or quarreling. These are all addressed in the Proverbs we looked at. Tail-bearing. Moses warned about this sin in Leviticus 19. Love covers all sins, fortunately. And we have, unfortunately, in this area of tail-bearing, Matthew 18. It's very disturbing, especially in the Christian ministries that are managed by hearsay where careers get crushed without ever being confronted by their accusers or without any evidence brought forth. They're managed by hearsay. Stay away from the tailbearer, because he'll be talking about you next trip around. He's a kindler of fire, fires, a destroyer of relationships. Have no part in tailbearing. You understand how it goes in the Christian community. I don't want to talk about so-and-so, but so that you can pray for him more specifically, let me tell you what's up. You know. Words can be as deadly as weapons. Solomon compares deceitful words to three different weapons. A maul or battle axe that crushes at close range, a sword that cuts, an arrow that pierces and can be shot from a distance. Each one of these battle, each one of these Weapons have a different characteristic, but tail-bearing fits all three. That's what he's saying. And of course, lying. God hates a lying tongue. He says that many places. Lying tongue is only covering up sin in the heart. 
It's deceit in the heart that makes a statement a lie. Not whether it's true or false. It's what's the, what's the root of it? The Bible tests and reveals the intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. Lies are like cutting swords, but truth is like a healing medicine. Truth is eternal. Lies will be revealed. Liars judged. Truth will deliver souls, but lies only lead to bondage and crime. Lies enjoy listening to liars. You know, that's interesting. Liars enjoy listening to liars. I understand there's even clubs that are organized around that idea. See, the heart controls the ear as well as the lips. That's another point that the book of Proverbs makes. But all liars will be punished. When they eat their own words, it will be like gravel, according to Proverbs. He is waiting for the one who loves and practices a lie. Then there's the issue of talking too much. There's some very humorous ones in there. The fool talks too much and digs his way right into trouble. His mouth becomes a trap and he himself snared by it. The multitude of words sin is not lacking. A loose tongue leads to poverty and foolishness. Many people would rather talk than work. How many of you know those kinds of people? <laughs> a controlled tongue means a safe life. The person of few words is regarded as a person of knowledge. I love Proverbs 17, 27. He that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. In many contexts, if you just be quiet, you will raise the group's assessment of you. You will appear wise. You don't want them to think, you're, if, you, if you worry about them thinking you're a fool, open your mouth and remove all doubt, you know. Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. That says it all, doesn't it? That's James actually talking. Restrain the, whips and you, restrain the lips until you really have something to say. Godly person will, be, will, will study the answer, but a fool will open his mouth and pour out foolishness. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. What a great prayer. It's in several of the Psalms. God wants us to search out a matter carefully and then give fair judgment. See, the only certain barrier to truth is the presumption you already have it. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store, or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.